0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David, Yes. how you doing?
1: Uh, I'm doing, doing real well. Uh, oh, boy. Well, I don't know. It's,
0: oh, good. All right. There it goes.
1: It, well, it's the first, uh, first rain of the season here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan of rain. Yeah. Um, but uh, how I, now you like cold.
0: I do. How do you feel about rain? Well, I'll tell you how I feel about it. This is going to annoy the listeners. Okay. Because it requires a sound effect um
1: so uh you've already annoyed me yeah oh so well, i know i know
0: okay that. uh so we're in a new house new to us right and
1: uh in a compound in a compound, in a compound yeah absolutely.
0: um what i like to call the bp compound
1: uh-huh. but um and uh 98 <laughs> percent of the people don't realize they're living in the bp compound
0: exactly they're it's it's <laughs> my compound they're just living in it anyway so um so yeah the uh The old rain gutters right outside the window uh, of my bedroom. Uh One is just a little bit off. And so now there's a, anytime it rains, Uh there's a drip. And it sounds like this.
1: This isn't the sort of like gentle plinking that you would find on sort of like a a Nature Sounds Falling Asleep to CD? No, which
0: I have and I love. But no, it's. (laughs) This is like a. This is someone is knocking at my. Like a Logie
1: woodpecker. (laughs) <laughs> just like, drugged up
0: <laughs> yeah it's just but it's constant and so and it happened this morning and so i actually went and slept in the guest room about uh, at about five thirty 30 no guests no m. guests not at this moment. time
1: no borders
0: <laughs> this is a uh, this well, is a we are without borders
1: here. <laughs> you know what might help what's that uh is I- instead of this knocking over uh-huh. in, listen to your nature falling asleep two cds yeah and do so with your tweaked audio.com slash pretension earbuds. Well that'll that'll, you know, drown what they it are, right out. What they are, our guest doesn't know. But what tweaked audio.com is, is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of styles and colors. They're really snappy, mm-hmm. these earbuds. Uh you can even get them in like a wood panel thing, which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh and they sound great. And they're already at a low, low price to begin with. But you go tweakedaudio, tweaked audio, that's T W E-A-K-E-D-Audio. Tweaked audio.com slash pretension. You get those for one third off, and you don't have to pay any shipping charges. So sounds good to me. You and everyone else who's having trouble falling asleep now, right? Has you get one of those Nature Sounds Falling Asleep two CDs, yeah, and you get your TweakedAudio dot com slash Pretension Earbuds, you sleep like a baby.
0: And what's more is, I can put those in my ears and listen to you know. Like Metallica or something, in order to right. get myself revved up to go talk to uh, the homeowners association to get these rain gutters fixed, because I <laughs> I am very intimidated by these people. Um,
1: okay, yeah. well now you got a you got a long thing to read. So
0: yeah, as as of uh, as of last week, uh, it'll just be last week and this week. Uh, we have a sponsor. Uh, our sponsor this week is Deferred, a new documentary currently in pre-production about the student loan debt crisis. The producers. <laughs> What? You're right there?
1: Yeah. Went down the wrong pipe.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you were laughing at the student loan debt crisis. (laughs)
1: Suckers.
0: (laughs) We went to film school. That paid off. All right. Uh, The producers of Deferred have launched a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo and have until December 4th to raise $15,000 to finance the film. We have over $1.2 trillion in student loan debt as a nation. The average balance is nearly 27,000, and more and more borrowers are struggling to repay their loans. The crushing debt keeps young people from buying houses and cars, and even prevents people from getting married, moving out of state, or pursuing their dreams. Meanwhile, the government scores record profits on the backs of students, while tuition rates have climbed more than 900% over the last 30 years. Default rates are higher than ever before, and the burden gets pa- uh, passed on to the taxpayers. And more than seventy-six billion, uh, with more than seventy-six billion past due. This could be our next national economic crisis. The system needs reform, and getting the word out is a big part of that. But we can't do it without your help. Help, uh, help fund deferred at Indiegogo today. Every dollar helps. As oh, got it. Every dollar helps, and as a verified nonprofit, each donation is tax deductible. There are some great perks for donating, including a digital download of the completed film, personal thank yous, your name in the credits, or even a chance to submit an interview question. Visit DeferredMovie.com or click on the ad at BattleshipPretention.com to find out how to help fund this film. So
1: Please do click on that ad. It sounds like a thing worth, uh, worth being made and worth being talked about. Yeah. What I want to know, I want the listeners who listened to last week's episode and this week's episode to write in and let us know who read it better.
0: Oh well, it's clearly you. I was, uh,
1: it, which is weird
0: because I'm I'm the one that they sent the ad to, and I changed it around, uh-huh. uh, so it had a bit more of a conversational flow, right? Um, but I, I picked uh, right
1: up on that last week.
0: I know, I know. I write I knocked it out of the park. I write well for you, I guess. Yeah, I guess um, so. but yeah, and I do want to emphasize adaptable. Yeah, that's you all over. Uh, I do want to emphasize that uh, that this is not Kickstarter; this is IndieGoGo. So, literally, everything that you anything that you put in is something that they will wind up using. Yeah. So, I would really encourage you to yeah, uh, yeah. go and, and donate something.
1: Okay, so we got that out of the way. Um, again, worthwhile, but we have important things to get to. You might be looking at your at your uh, MP3 player or or or, or smartphone. Zoom. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is still Zoom compatible. Uh, or looking at the computer and say, and 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 just you know, he puzzled because you're like, I'm listening to a movie podcast, but I know this guest's name. Mm-hmm. It's coming up. It's a little scrolling, scrolling by on the on the uh, on the description. This is a mm-hmm. TV guy. Well, yeah. we're changing it up here, but don't worry because we're going to be bridging the chasm. Finally, yeah. yes, this is a, an armistice. <laughs> At this point, between the movie people and the TV people. Absolutely. So, our guest from the AV Club is Todd Vanderwerf.
2: Hello.
1: Thank you for being here, Tom. Todd, I uh, said Tom.
2: It's, it's good to be here. It's good to be here. After my lengthy trek from Long Beach.
1: Yeah, thank you for making that trek. In the rain. Yeah. I know I'm going to say the thing that everyone everyone says uh, who moves here from elsewhere that people from Los Angeles who live in Los Angeles forget how to drive in the rain.
2: They do. It's uh, it's terrifying.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was. Uh, I, I take uh, I take the bus a lot of places. I was on the bus this morning when it was raining, and uh, it, it was just. I, I swear, I have PTSD from that bus ride because people just didn't know. It was jerking and stopping and starting. It took forty five minutes when it should have taken twenty. It was. Uh, it, it was. It was awful. I don't, I don't mind telling
2: you. I once had this explained to me by like somebody who grew up in L.A. Uh-huh. Who knows? It's because. We don't get enough rain here to wash, like, motor oil and stuff like that off the streets. Yeah, that makes sense. it makes it a lot more slippery. So It does make sense. It's technically safe, but it's very irritating.
0: And it winds up being a self-fulfilling prophecy because now when I go out, I'm like, all these crazies don't know how to drive (laughs) in the rain, so I better be super cautious myself. And then I'm part of the problem. Yes.
1: So. Um, uh, But you uh – you had an, Your email said you had an interview
2: earlier today. I did. I did. Actually, it ended up getting moved to this morning. So, okay. Yeah, but yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: Well, I won't ask you who it is. I don't know yeah. if that's top, top I, secret. Who cares? Um,
2: who would you interview then? <laughs> I talked to Terrence Winter uh, with Boardwalk oh. Empire. Hey, right. all right. And all right. Also writing The Wolf of Wall Street. So you see movies and TV coming, coming together. Coming together. Absolutely. Yeah. How, how's a lot he of doing? That,
1: um, uh, obviously, Alan Taylor directing um, the, the, the the Thor movie. There was another one recently, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, well, didn't David Chase do, uh... Well, he did his, He did not away. fade away, which I didn't like very much. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like there's another big TV guy who, who I don't Matt know. Matt
2: Weiner had a movie at Toronto, but okay. it was supposed to be pretty terrible. Okay. Um, <laughs> of course, like, Joss Whedon came out of TV, and yeah. the Russo brothers are doing Captain America. That's a they big came one. And on yeah. so. And
1: there's guys like, directors like John Dahl or Brad Anderson, who can kind of go back and yeah. forth a, a lot. Um but yeah, I mean that'd be uh, it'd be interesting to see maybe. Uh, Carl uh, Franklin
0: directs a lot of TV. He does. Yeah, and I, I think of him as a movie guy.
1: I didn't like his last movie though. But Which one was that? Bless Me, Ultima.
2: Yeah, that got kind of mixed reviews. Yeah. by and large. Nicole uh, Holofcener gets a lot mm-hmm. of okay. sitcom work. She does a lot of sitcoms. Yeah, uh, she does a lot of Parks and Rec, I believe. Parks and oh, Rec, okay. Enlightened, and there's one other I'm not remembering. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Well, I'd love to see a, a Michelle McLaren or a Jack Bender uh break into the movie see what they could what they could do let's do a whole episode of us just saying names (laughs) but not
0: referencing anything at all that should be a lot of fun for the listener
1: but uh, for those for those of our listeners who are so ensconced in the movie world all they do is watch the criterion discs and and uh and read they don't read the av club they read movie.com that's all that's it that's all they do yeah let's get to know you okay uh Again, you write – what is your title over there at the AV Club? I'm the Club? TV
2: editor at the AV Club. Yes. Oh, yeah. boy. I'm the TV editor and head TV critic. Finally,
0: somebody I can talk Survivor with. This is very <laughs> exciting. That sounds like a joke, but I so desperately want to talk Survivor with people, but that's, that's okay. No, it's all right. Um, Wait a second. So does that mean – so who's – who made the call to stop covering Amazing Race?
2: <laughs> that was ultimately – I mean it was it was – Uh, People above me said, hey, maybe we should look at these. And Amazing Race was one of the ones I picked out of there because it was – Fair enough. Not being read very well, but we have an interview with someone who was on the Amazing Race about like the behind the scenes. Oh, I don't remember the name. It's it's going okay. up tomorrow, so okay. you can look oh like look for that. I'll check it out
1: because yeah. you did the one with the Prices Right winner, right? Which was awesome. Yes, yes. Uh, And the there was uh there was a Project Runway behind the scenes thing that was very. We're,
2: now we're doing uh, Amazing Race, and we'll be doing Biggest Loser at some point too. Cool. So.
1: I'm fascinated by uh, just reality
0: TV in general, and I and I recognize that like Survivor and Amazing Race, that's a competition and that sort of thing. But um, we had a. I'm not sure if I if I'm supposed to say his name, so I won't. But we we have had somebody on the show who uh, works in reality TV and he sure. worked on like one of the trading spouses or wife swap, one of those. And he basically told this story uh, on a on a separate podcast. So I guess it's okay. His name's Pat Francis. Anyway, he told this story that um, that he went in and he was he's not like one of the decision makers, but he's kind of a line producer and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and every episode there's sort of the family that you don't like mm-hmm. and there's the family you do like and he said well often and it goes and it's usually the family you don't like tend to be kind of uh, a certain type of midwest or maybe southern type kind of fits a certain narrative of like being sheltered being you know that sort of thing whereas the the family that you do like a bit more open minded uh, maybe a little bit more urban that sort of thing and he said okay so he goes that's it's kind of frustrating when you just fit that narrative all the time he goes but then you realize you watch the raw footage the good family the family you like from the raw footage is the small town southern family this urban family is insufferable and then you just have to edit it into this other thing and he said it was just like oh that's when you really realize wow not only is reality mildly manipulated it Mm -hmm. is like Creative, it might as well just be scripted at that point. Yeah. And I'm just – I'm constantly fascinated by by that kind of behind the scenes.
2: There's some stuff that's pretty close to like a weekly documentary, like mm-hmm. what you'd expect to see in a, in a movie theater, where we understand that the director of that documentary has like a perspective and is editing toward that perspective. Mm-hmm. But that tends to be on like Sundance, out-of-the-way cable channels. For mm-hmm. the most part, the stuff you see is very heavily manipulated, if not outright written, by uh, people behind the scenes. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh oh well, I didn't realize we were gonna be calling you on the carpet for stuff you're not covering anymore. No, it's okay. But you did recently stop covering Nashville, although I kind of understand because I think now that you don't have someone reviewing it, my girlfriend and I are the only ones left watching Nashville. <laughs> but I am still watching it
2: every week. Uh we're we're doing it monthly. This is a new thing we're doing where hmm. when we drop okay. shows we're gonna try and, and drop in once a month. So we dropped in last night. Oh, so okay. I haven't watched last
1: night's yet, so that's why I didn't notice. Yeah,
2: so if you're if you're into it. Go and go and look for. I don't our know if
1: interview. I'm in. I'm, I'm watching Nashville, and I don't like <laughs> if I see a Nashville in my DVR. I'm not like, oh, I got to watch this because some shows get to that point, like Homeland now. But uh, I'm still, I still look forward to watching Nashville. But I don't know if I could say I, I like it. It's like a Pier One Imports or
2: something. It's just <laughs> right. kind of like a, a pleasant place to like sit for an hour. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah.
0: Now I hope. I hope uh, you know uh, we, we were playing. I was playing up the bravado a little bit. I'm not. Actually, calling you—you know—taking you to task for oh, not covering totally something. Should. Let's, oh, okay. let's just do that. All right, yeah. Let's, let's get just it all talk out. Amazing race. What do you guys think of this season? <laughs> you know,
1: um, but uh, well, let's let's get to know you personally. How did
2: you? Uh, where are you from? I let's am from Armour, South Dakota. Okay. Uh, which you get to by going to the middle of nowhere and turning left. Uh-huh. Um, it's just a tiny little town, about seven hundred and fifty people. Uh, it's a, miles from anything. Um, but I, I grew up there. Very isolated, very um, – uh, just sort of cut off from everything. Um, but I was raised uh, fundamentalist Christian. So I, I didn't watch a lot of movies and TV as a kid. But what I did was I go to the library and check out books about movies and TV. So I just like <laughs> read everything they had in the library about that. And then when I got to be about 11 or 12, we switched churches and I started devouring Nick at Night. Okay. So I like had far – like I still have far more knowledge of like 70s sitcoms than I do like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which – Right. Is apparently a problem. Like I can't do the Fresh Prince of Bel Air theme song, which is a travesty <laughs> to so many people my age. But, but yeah, I I I, uh, I got more well versed in uh, classic TV than uh, the current TV because that was easier to slide by my parents. And then, um, as time went on, I, I just you know you live in the middle of nowhere. So what else are you going to do? I watched movies and TV just as much as I could. So it was kind of how that happened.
1: That's really interesting because I. Um I know this is supposed to be about you, but I was was thinking about how I often, uh, uh, among my friends uh, and other people I know my age, I am apparently a minority that I grew up without cable. Yeah. So um, references to things like the Adventures of Pete and Pete and Salute Your Shorts and all the things that Mm -hmm. people my age watched when they were kids are lost on me. But it never occurred to me that I also missed out on Nick at Night, which probably would have been very edifying.
2: Megan Knight was great. Um, I, you know, I didn't really have like we didn't have a robust cable package until that when I was like eleven or twelve, that age. Um, but we did have, uh, you know, we had a satellite dish, so we could pull in all these like random channels from Canada and stuff. Uh-huh. So, I have these weird things I've seen that like nobody else has ever heard of. So, uh,
1: so, um, when did you did, did you did you know you wanted to write about TV? Did you know you wanted to be a writer?
2: And did you know you wanted it to be about TV at an early age? I knew I wanted to be a writer. Um, when I was in uh, high school, I found out how much people who write for TV are paid. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, that's a good thing. And then, like, as a backup goal, I can try, like, trying to be a critic. A movie critic was what I wanted to be from the mm-hmm. first. Um, because, I mean, there there
1: have been TV critics, but there weren't as many TV critic jobs 20 years ago as there no, are now. No, Tom right? Shales.
2: Yeah. Tom Shales. That's all I know. Uh, Ken Tucker was Ken the Tucker, one that I read Ken all Tucker, the yeah. time. Yes, yes. I, I read him and Matt Roush, and they're both still they're both still working. Yeah. So that, that's really cool. I've, I've actually met both of them now. And the guy in our paper, whose name was Robert Hughes, who nobody has ever heard of, because he was like this syndicated guy who just uh-huh. sold his column to individual newspapers. Um, but yeah, I, I went to uh, college and started writing the movie reviews, and occasionally would do a TV review. And then um, I st- it just when I was working for a newspaper as a copy editor and was just horribly bored by doing that, I started blogging. Um, and the posts I did about TV – because this was kind of the pre-Alan Seppenwall era. It, uh-huh. it was right when he was sort of starting out but not really. Um, so the posts I did about TV got a lot more attention than everything else. So I just – I started writing about that and that gradually evolved into other work and what I do now. So – I fully intended to make the switch to movies at some point, but now um, I, I, I enjoy writing about TV so much more than I think I would movies, even though I love the movies. Uh,
1: but uh, now I mentioned that um, there's more TV writing. This 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 <laughs> thing that the AV Club was one of the, uh, I guess, uh, at the forefront of or, or, or one of them was this, the morning after you read the write-up of the previous episode. Yes. Uh, and that's very much become a model on, on the internet. But I... Um, the AV Club has recently started doing these TV reviews where they're reviewing the show, mm-hmm. um, which I really like that you're doing that. Uh, how did you come to the – was that your decision?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, that was that's an idea I've been sort of spearheading since about 2011. Um, it was very hard. The main problem was it was very hard to figure out how to distinguish between the two things. Like we needed a name and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And TV reviews is not very descriptive, but it at least gets across what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it took a while to kind of get it put together, but that, that was all, it's pretty much, it's stuck close to like a memo I wrote in 2011 about how we needed to do this because I think the morning after episode review slash recap is, is a cool model. I love writing in that model. I think it's great. I think it does a lot of things very well. I think it doesn't do big picture very well. And I think a lot of publications that write about TV are losing sight of that big picture. Uh,
1: this will get us into our topic actually a little bit. Um, that, uh, well, I guess – you know what? Let's put a pin in that for a second because uh, I want to ask about what what is your approach when you're writing a TV review as opposed to a TV recap or an episode recap?
2: I think of it as uh, – and this is a divide that we put into every single review. We have the little text that says this, but I think of it as when I'm writing a – uh, TV review. I say, should I watch this? Like that's the question I'm trying to answer. I'm, I get into larger themes and things like that, but at the base level, the question is: Is this a show worth watching? Worth spending your time on? And I always want to make sure to answer that. So, like, I take my grading a lot more seriously there uh-huh. than I would in just a, a, an episode, an episodic review, um, where it's more like uh, our my former colleague uh, and great friend Noel Murray always called it as reports from the field, Mm -hmm. where you're saying, this is how this season of Homeland is going right now, and I don't know, you know.
1: (laughs) And there's an assumption that the person reading it has seen the episode. There's
2: an assumption the person reading it has seen the episode, and it is, I I spend much less time on grading. It is more just about sort of your overall feelings and kind of saying, like, where things seem to be heading, a little bit of speculation in there. It's it's a weird kind of uh, bastardized form, but... It works,
0: and uh, I feel like both. I feel like to do both to have the individual recaps and then the overall review. I feel like that. And now I'm, I don't want to get us into the topic if you don't want to get us no, in there. We yet, can get. But,
1: it, well, let me. uh I feel, igno- like, I I want feel like, to like lay it, out what the topic is or what. the Okay, topic okay out well out then I'll I'll dance around it then. Oh, uh, I could just say it now. Oh, okay, basically, go ahead. what I had wanted to talk about with with Todd was something that I have, uh I think, probably complained about on this episode, on this show before, or certainly on my. um non-existent uh no longer existent tv podcast previously on i talked about this the idea that uh there's a a golden age that either is currently happening or has recently ended depending on how you uh what do you think about it uh, of tv that has that has brought um to tv people like honestly who i was in high school who, who were film snobs who thought that film was better than tv and didn't w- spend a lot of time watching tv uh and that's i think it's great that 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 tv has broken through and been taken more seriously as an art form but it has also brought these people these movie people <laughs> to tv in a in a way that they're saying okay now you're as good as movies now behave like movies hmm. uh and, and and there there is something uh, again i'm making huge generalizations there are lots of people who take tv very seriously but it does seem like sometimes there are there are people writing about TV or, t- or podcasting about TV uh, who maybe don't have the respect for the medium's history um, and uh, peculiarities uh, that I think one should have. That I that I think I take for granted among movie critics. Anyway, that's that was sort of the impetus for having Todd on.
2: I was not aware that was the topic and thought I was here to read my Bunheads fan fiction. <laughs> so I'm just going to do that for 45 minutes. Sasha, times tra- time travels. It's it's a whole thing.
1: <laughs> um, okay, so that... Oh, I was going
2: to say, is oh, that... Oh, go
1: ahead. Is the time travel element how Alan Ruck shows up on Masters of Sex yes, now? Absolutely.
2: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, but yes.
1: Um, yeah,
0: and so it's by having tv reviews but then also having the recaps and that sort of thing i feel like that winds up doing approaching television how people tend to approach it now yes episodically which is how they historically have done it but also with binge watching and also with i would say uh very a movie like approach of let's just approach one season as if it were one movie or some people say you know one chapter in a book or something like that so they said that with the wire all the time and so like approaching like all right it breaks down into specific episodes and we'll approach it like that but there's this all there's also this larger thing and we can talk about it in in a larger context and this is something that uh David and I tend to go back and forth on because David does have a great deal of respect for television history and I do as well. But I also, as time has gone on, have come to, I will not necessarily embrace, but at least understand that people don't watch TV the same way. I think it's unfortunate, but I don't think they do. Um, Case in point, I watched, I caught up on two seasons of New Girl in a week (laughs) uh, while while I I was working.
1: I think – actually uh sorry I'll, and I'll let our actual guest talk in a second sorry, but yeah. i think a lot of people do still watch tv the old way i think there's this just sort of i don't know if vanguard is the word but this this uh very vocal minority on the internet who are treating tv as if it is a big movie and the, these mm-hmm. are the people who are talking about talking about the end of breaking bad before it had happened as if it's possible for them to blow it completely like is it there the, there was this there was this tone sort of in, in in certain circles leading up to the end of breaking bad that was basically saying basically saying if they don't get the ending right then the whole series isn't worth it they're sure. not going really on saying it in those words but i think that happening was kind of actually what made me want to do this episode because it was really bothering me because to me when i'm when you're halfway through the final season of breaking bad it's place in history is pretty much secure at that point it's it's been fantastic for a long time and if it falls apart at the end the way say law you know you could say lost did and i'm a huge lost fan i don't think lost i don't think any less of lost season two and and maybe the end of season three on my favorite parts of lost because because i thought the sixth season was a bit of a Misfire.
0: Yeah, they had not a great episode. It just happened to be their last one. <laughs> you
2: know? I would argue they had like I actually really like the Lost finale, but I would argue they had like a like the last ten to fifteen minutes is what everybody's mad about. Right, and like does that negate the whole series? Right.
1: Yeah, but I uh, I guess we'll get back to the macro topic a little to talk about Lost because I also like the finale a lot, mm-hmm. but I think um, the sixth season sure. leading up to that finale and the. The Flash Sideways, the split storylines really robbed a lot of the emotional stakes from that. Because, you know, if Saeed dies over here, it's like, what do you care? In ten minutes, we're going to see him over in the other world. It doesn't mean anything. Uh, And I think in a very fundamental way, I was less invested in the sixth season because of that method of storytelling. And it didn't carry carry me through to the end the way that I was hoping it would because I was a lost devotee. I was a fanatic. Were you
2: not a theorizer?
1: Because I found
2: that to be the, the fun thing about the Sideways universe.
1: Uh, I guess I wasn't. I, I I I remember being a theorizer, like in season in season two with the hatch when the Dharma Initiative was sure. really uh, introduced. Um, but I, I think I started to, and this uh, gets into the way that I tend to approach uh, talking about films as well. I started to getting getting I started getting into Lost more in terms of its uh, its its themes and what is what it sure. was exploring about. Um, Hanging on to the past, or letting go, or you know, um, defining yourself apart from the people who made you or created you—that uh, sort of became what Lost was about to me, and I think it carried that through to the end. I,
2: uh, yeah, I, I, I'm there with you. I was, I was far more interest, invested in the themes and stuff, but I was also blogging about it for the LA Times, and they needed that one article a week that was like, "Here's what's going to happen." I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong <laughs> about everything, though. I did, I did predict the Flash sideways structure like a long before Uh-oh. that season aired. So that's like that's like one of my claims to fame.
1: Um, so let's get back to uh, what we were what we were talking about. Uh, I guess. Um, well, what do you think? I guess of my premise for this topic for this episode.
2: Um, I I agree that TV history is unfairly ignored, but I sort of understand why it is. Um, I'm not going to name names of my television critic colleagues, but every single one I've talked to has a like a huge major series. If you found out they haven't seen like more than an episode of it, you would just be aghast. Like uh-huh. it's it's the equivalent in TV terms of having not seen. Um, like Vertigo right. in movie terms, or or Citizen Kane in some cases. Well, but, I'm
1: glad I define myself as a movie guy first. So sure. when I tell you my blind spots, if I do, I'm mea culpa from the get go. No, 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 that's fine. <laughs> that's
2: fine. You know, I and not everybody can see everything. Like that's that's just the thing. But the thing with movies is, you theoretically could see. You know, uh, the they shoot pictures, don't they? It has that list of 1,000 movies? You right. theoretically could watch all of those in probably five years, like if you really wanted to. If you, really, if you were yeah. really devoted to it. Um, I made a list of my top hundred TV shows of all time in I think two thousand seven. It's like it's a pretty bad list, but if you <laughs> like to watch all of those all the way through, and there's some on there that I haven't seen all the way through because they're not available or whatever, mm-hmm. um, would be you know it would take ten years, and that's that's a that's a tenth of what you'd have to watch for they shoot pictures, don't they? Um, it's just the thing where there's so much of it that. I think the main goal that I would ask for, like, a TV critic would be to be reasonably conversant in some of the big shows. Like, you've seen the main All in the Family episodes, but you haven't seen all, I think it's 250-some episodes. So you've seen, you know, the major thrusts in some of the big seasons, but not everything. Because, you know, who has time? Who has time (laughs) for that? And I think uh, I have sort of that problem
1: where I I I I want to go back and watch all Mm -hmm. of them. Uh, but I know that it's not possible. I, re- I somewhat recently, I guess it's been like a, a year now. But I watched all of Cheers because I had just seen reruns when I was a kid, and I watched it from beginning to end, and it took me a really long time. Uh, and I don't know if it was worth it because there's there's a lot of Cheers that I don't like as much as those first five seasons. David, uh, let me ask
0: you this because I know because you, I remember as you were watching Cheers, I, I had this thought, and this is something that you run across. Uh, and we've mentioned on the show with with movies, people uh, the way they watch movies. Do you did you find it tempting to say like once you finished it to say, "All right, I've finished Cheers." I obviously, you wouldn't phrase it like this. I finished Cheers, and now I now it belongs to me. <laughs> I have I own it now, as though almost as though it's like all right i've gotten through it and that's the achievement as opposed to engaging with each episode on an individual basis or the I'd series like to bring as a whole
1: to yeah, this yeah. question because i think that uh, i'm not sure how to answer that but that is one of the differences between uh, you know a, a film is a single experience that you yeah. sit down you turn the lights off you watch it from beginning to end and a tv series doesn't exist in the same way so i'm not sure if your relation to it can be because you do when you finish the film it's like a part of you now yeah but i don't know if a series uh, what do you
2: think of that my two favorite TV series of all time are The Simpsons and Deadwood. Uh, Deadwood, of course, was Ooh. cut short after three seasons. Uh, I think it's pretty much the closest thing you're going to find to a perfect TV show outside of a couple of British and Canadian uh-huh. shorter order shows. Um, there are some weird storylines in it, but for the most part, I think is is just beautiful and perfect and has so much to say about humanity. The Simpsons obviously is still on the air. Uh-huh. Will probably never be off the air. Uh-huh. I mean, eventually it will, but but. You know, for right now, it looks like it's going to run into the foreseeable future. And my opinion of it being one of my favorite shows of all time is largely based on the first eight to ten seasons, and honestly, probably just the first eight. But I don't think the fact that it keeps running, I don't think the fact that I don't watch it every week and I only check in when the AV Club review of it is really good, and even sometimes not then, I don't think that that necessarily negates my love for seasons one through eight. Like, you know, TV shows—you have a relationship with them in a way you just don't. With uh, the closest thing is maybe a long book or like a mm-hmm. book series. That's that's the closest thing. But like, well, actually,
1: Tether and I were talking before you showed up about about music, and I was talking about how um, I love the Unforgettable Fire by U two, mm-hmm. and the fact that I think How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb sucks doesn't make me dislike yeah. an Unforgettable Fire. Mm-hmm. I still think that's an amazing
2: album. But again, that's you know a concrete. A concrete unit, or it's the same thing. Like if you really love a director and you follow all of his films, you you might like a certain film more than others. But everyone is slightly different in some ways. Whereas with Cheers, which I agree is one of the better shows ever made, which I've seen all of, um, is you know every they have roughly the same cast. There's some changes. Mm -hmm. They have roughly the same producers. They have roughly the same creative personnel. And it's the same setting. It's the same way to get. It's trying to get two hundred and fifty some episodes out of a stone. Basically, they just keep squeezing and squeezing until they come up with stuff. And it really depends on you having a relationship, not just with the show, but with the characters about about them becoming your friends in a sort of a very real way.
1: Uh, that's. I'm glad you mentioned that because as much as I talked about being into the themes and Lost, I do find that my. Um sort of analytical or critical response to television has a lot more to do with the sort of, uh, the basic building blocks of character and story than it does when I watch a movie, when I watch a movie, you know, um, I guess Terrence Malick would be a go-to reference to something that I can, I don't, I don't have to care about his characters and I can still love the movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, television is a i I care much more about story in television and and characters obviously
2: tyler mentioned new girl uh just a little bit ago which is like my favorite sitcom running right now and it's in its third season and is it has a lot of its fans sort of being mad at it which is very typical of like a third season for a sitcom where the fan base (laughs) turns on it a little bit at the start and then by the end they're like i love you still and then they give each other a hug
1: now does that fit into my theory of people of TV, or is that a recency fallacy in my head that I think is? on the, uh, Is that going back to TV fans always? Uh, I
2: think you know it's hard to tell because shows? when you get before the internet era, it's hard okay. to know like were people in season three of Leave It to Beaver like <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> really <laughs> upset
2: about it? You no, know, we don't. And also, they produced so many more episodes back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that you know you get to season three, and the writers want to push the characters a little bit, want to do some interesting stuff. And I do think New Girl has a really compelling thematic underlying concern. But most people watch that show, like the primary reason I watch that show is to laugh and to hang out, you know, with characters that I enjoy seeing do stuff Mm -hmm. and, you know, to watch uh, Nick and Jess kiss. Um, like that's the whole reason to watch that show for a lot of people. I'm into the themes. I'm into them pushing the characters in, in sort of darker directions. Not everybody is, you know, most mm-hmm. people just, most people just want to hang out there for probably eight to 10 years and get sort of tired of it around year six. Like that, that is what they want to do. And that's, <laughs> that's just the way it is.
0: And I wonder, is it, and maybe, and I, I think maybe I'm, I'm off topic here, but this is battleship retention. That's what fair do. enough. Uh, does TV and maybe maybe this is an, an issue with modern TV, but like, are the are is the deck stacked against TV ever being successful? Like, if it goes on, like for example, it'll go eight seasons. People get tired at six, yeah. but if it stops at six at the peak,
2: people will be like, "What? What? Yeah, like is the is there <laughs> any way that it will be totally satisfying to everybody? No, I mean that's just that's just the nature of the beast. Unless you're like. I think the probably the one like perfect show I've seen is either Faulty Towers or The Office original version, mm-hmm. uh, and there there are twelve episodes and fourteen episodes respectively. And also, and, I think worth yeah.
1: mentioning, um, not made necessarily to make money. They're made both, yeah. both BBC shows, yeah, funded by the government, and both don't have commercial breaks. Yes, and and so I I think uh, uh, television, especially as it exists in America on networks, is the most. Vulgar, if you will, of art forms because it depends so much on on the commercial aspect of it. even more so, maybe, than movies. Though
2: so much of the British stuff we're watching now is also produced commercially. Right. Like a lot of that stuff is ITV or, or Channel 4, stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Which is, uh, yeah, which is, um. But privately. Sherlock is BBC, right? I believe Sherlock is BBC, yes. Okay. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's very difficult to sort of, uh, get beyond that, um, you know, unless you can really think of the episodes as discrete units, like on the Twilight Zone, for yeah. example, where people are like, I have a favorite Twilight Zone, and if you like that Twilight Zone, you don't have to like the 155 other ones. <laughs> like, you can just say, I like the one where William Shatner is against the thing on the wing of the right, right. Yeah. Uh
1: Well, that gets me into something that I wanted to talk about, that I think maybe part of the reason that, if my theory is true, that these film fans came to tv and are treating it like it's movies mm-hmm. uh if that's true i think part of the reason is because the shows that got them into it or the show in particular which is the sopranos uh, which is uh, it's not my personal favorite show of all time but it is in my opinion objectively the greatest show of all time sure if i can say that um it is at least at first glance seems more like a movie in that the the storylines uh Go on from episode to episode. It's not a standalone thing. Although I think when you compare The Sopranos to something like The Wire or Game of Thrones, you find that those episodes do exist as their own in uh, in much more uh, obvious ways, um, and that's why things like The Wire and the Game of Thrones Game of Thrones never. I like them, but they don't connect with me the way the shows do. People talk uh, about
2: Sopranos in terms of episodes, like people uh-huh. will be like, "I love Pine Barrens," yeah, or, yeah. I uh-huh. love Long Term Parking. They don't talk about The yeah. Wire, or Game of Thrones like that. They talk about it in terms of sequences, like I love right. the Red Wedding, I love where one character dies, or right, I right. love um, yeah. you know Mcnulty
0: the, and Bunk saying yeah. "fuck" is the yeah, investigate. <laughs> right. yeah.
1: And so I wonder if uh, maybe the only reason because I like I, I admitted in high school I was. I was this guy. I was the guy who was just getting into David Lynch, and I was super into film, and that's what art is. And I dismissed, with the exception of Seinfeld and News Radio, uh, which were always funny. I pretty much, in the Simpsons, I pretty much dismissed TV. And then um, my freshman year of college, I was living in dorms, and I met some people out on the smoking patio and became friends with them, smoking friends with them. And then one Tuesday, I was like, "What are you guys doing tonight?" It's like, "Oh, we're going to the Trevor's room to watch Buffy and Angel." and that was that was it for me i was i watched buffy and angel with them and that i became a tv fan through buffy and angel and buffy is exactly what i think it does the kind of storytelling that i think uh is is the best use of the television format in that it tells standalone stories every week that are a part of a greater whole and also where the story of the week uh reflects or echoes something thematically or emotionally that's going on in the larger story that's why uh that's what the good wife does now and that's why it's one of the best shows on tv i think and so maybe i just got lucky if i had come to the sopranos before buffy maybe i'd be one of these people that i now find, find insufferable uh but what do you think of that and what was your what shows was it these Nick at night shows uh what shows the were you... show that
2: really got me into tv was x-files which is, of course, sort of the ultimate blend—the ultimate blend of standalone stories and mm-hmm. serialized content—was um, really revolutionary in both cases. And yet, today, what's what holds ba- up better is generally the standalone episodes. I don't know if either of you have watched a lot of X Files. I've watched—I watched the, I watched the first season, this, but I haven't, yeah, haven't watched all of it. But like season three of that show, I think is is one of the better seasons of TV ever made, and it's because both sides of the the coin are sort of clicking along on all levels. Um, you know, you've got brilliant standalones uh, like uh, Clyde Bruckman's uh, Final Repose, which literally you could go watch it right now. And all you need to know is that Mulder and Scully solve paranormal crimes and you are uh-huh. good. like and you would appreciate like everything about it. But you've also got really brilliant stuff in the Alien storyline, which which you, as a kid or as a teenager, I should say, I was much more excited about. Like I was like, when are they going to find all the answers? And they never did. It was just it was sort of it became sort of a lesson to other shows. But, yeah, that was that was for me the real gateway drug into thinking about TV more seriously. Like I noticed the names of the writers. I noticed, you know, the names of the creative personnel. I got to know like who all the, like when I'd see the guest stars come up at the start of the episode, I'd be like, Oh, this person's going to be in this episode. So Yeah. yeah, that was, uh, that was sort of my gateway drug. Um, and I think it's why I am a little more, uh, interested and a little more forgiving of older TV than, uh, a lot of, TV fans are nowadays or a lot of, even a lot of TV critics. Um, I think that that part of it was just like when I first started really getting into TV, like that was the first time people were like "TV's better than the movies, which is such a stupid argument. And I, uh-huh. I would never like having that argument because it's pointless.
0: <laughs> but do you, do you think that like you can't like it's apples and oranges? I mean, obviously both of them are like a dramatic narrative visual medium, but at the same time, like they're so different inherently.
2: I don't know how you do something like in the mood for love on TV. Like, yeah, I don't right. like outside of an anthology series, which I I would totally t- cool with anthology shows coming back. But I don't see how you do something like that. There are certain formats that work perfectly in film that don't really work in TV. Um, the romantic comedy is one because hmm. TV always has to have the after, and you never want to see the after in a romantic comedy. <laughs> you <laughs> right. just want to have the big kiss at the end. Um, there's uh, you know like really large um, like something like Robert Altman did. Like I Robert Altman did some TV, but like. Nashville would be kind of the film, not the TV show. It would be kind of hard to do on TV. Oh, man.
0: I thought the TV show was an adaptation
2: of the film. (laughs) Man, I was way off. I should have watched a single episode. But then there's other, and and for a long, but at the same time, for a long time, horror was one of those things I thought TV didn't do well, but uh, X Files kind of broke that ground. And now we're seeing some really good, really creepy shows that that I think do put a lot of stuff in multiplexes to shame. Um, I don't
1: know that I, uh, I mean, Twilight Zone could do scary stuff, right? Yeah, Twilight, uh,
2: Zone, Twilight Zone has some pretty freaky episodes. Um, you'll see random scary episodes of other shows. I think Hush on Buffy is mm-hmm, terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, there's an episode of – I talk about this all the time. But there's an episode of Little House on the Prairie where there is a guy in a mime mask who's stalking this, this girl and, like, rapes her. And that's like, the whole plot is – it's just, like, we're going to tell a normal Little House on the Prairie story about this girl who gets pregnant and the son of the Ingalls family decides he's going to marry her to make her an honest woman, even though she's you know, pregnant by this rapist. But every so often it's just like punctured by like a slasher movie where this guy in a mime mask starts walking around and like stalking wow. this girl. It's, That's a it's, later season. Yeah, I think yeah. it's like season eight. Okay. Series, series finale. <laughs> the series finale of Little House on the Prairie, They Blew Up the Town. That like, actually that is my favorite. Is that true? Yes. Buffy style. Yeah, yeah absolutely like the the town was going to be bought by i think railroad investors i haven't seen it since i was like six but they put dynamite in all the buildings and then they stood there and just like blew them up one by one uh-huh. for like 10 minutes that's <laughs> the last thing well, you that, see of little house in the Prairie is people blowing stuff up um
1: i'm glad you mentioned little house because that's a show uh that uh, i think what you were talking about i am maybe even more than conversant in little house i just haven't seen a lot of the later stuff um But uh, that's a really fascinating show to watch now. When we're used to TV, either like the sort of Buffy or Friday Night Lights format, where if if an episode airs on in mid October, it takes place in mid October, Mm -hmm. you know, and that a season roughly lasts from September to May, you know, uh, there'd be but there'd be episodes of Little House on the Prairie that took place over the course of like two months, yeah, and it, it didn't like the timeline. They weren't worried about that. They were telling. They had a setting and characters, and they were telling short stories with that, and they didn't necessarily all have to be a part of the same thing. And that uh, it's, uh, I love that, but it does seem really strange to watch now.
2: My favorite show in that regard right now that's on the air right now is Masters of Sex, which is doing like they'll take a four month jump between yeah. episodes, and like and not really comment. They huh? are finding like little chunks of time in these people's lives they think are interesting to talk about. And there's not really an overarching story outside of, like, the study, which is kind of way in the background at this point. And it's driving a lot of people nuts. But I'm Uh I'm really enjoying it. I like its approach to storytelling. It's very weird and different.
1: Yeah, that's not what's driving me nuts about (laughs) it. I'm still liking the show, but I actually... I actually we agree very much with uh, – I can't remember her name who's reviewing
2: the show. Sonia Saraya?
1: Yeah, um, who says that you know it it is ostensibly a show about Masters and Johnson, but mm-hmm. it seems to be almost just about Masters and they're not fleshing out Virginia Johnson's character as much as they seem to be promising to in the pilot. They
2: gave out the book to everybody. Like Showtime gave out the book at the TCA press tour. Uh-huh. So uh, my wife has read the book and has t- – Johnson comes into it more as it goes along. Like right now it is very much Masters story. So – I wonder if they shouldn't have started it later on. But, uh-huh. you know, that's uh, – these things happen.
0: So, <laughs> so um, to, to get back to the uh, topic because it's – okay. So I'm going to break ground and say that it is a fascinating time for television right now. <laughs> um, uh, partially because uh, the role that Netflix is starting to play and just hears everything – like really steering into the binge-watching skid uh, and just like – and I've and, you know, and I've done it. Like I watched House of Cards, where you know I'd watch one episode here, one episode there, and then three or four episodes in a mm-hmm. row, and uh, and I would do that, I, and then I would condemn myself for doing it in the moment. Just be like, come on, man, like do this the way it's, it's supposed to be done. It's like, yeah, but they didn't make it like that. Yeah, you know, they actually made it knowing full well people were going to do that. Some shows, I think, are not meant to be watched
1: uh, in that way. I think you told me last week you watched three episodes of Hannibal in a row and wanted to hang yourself.
2: <laughs> it's like 3 a.m. But, uh, but you know, oh, like, yeah, Hannibal needs to be yeah. watched like one per day.
1: Yeah. Which is, like, by the way, my, it was my favorite show of the last year of television sure. Hannibal.
0: And it's, and even the, and new girl, I, I, I binge watched that. And when you do that, you realize you feel like, man, these people cannot commit to anything. Now I recognize in general, that's one of the points, but when, you know, when you're watching all the episodes in a row mm-hmm. one after another you realize like oh this episode th- this relationship which seems to be really important it lasted well about about an hour and a half you know <laughs> um but uh and so i feel like that that's one that probably should i should have probably spaced out but you know the newest arrested development and then house of cards and i didn't see wh- what are some of the others uh, Hemlock grove is black. orange is the new black yeah. um you know those are done in a tv style Uh, they're done in tv style tv format but clearly they and i've made the argument on the show that anybody who has made a show post 2005 they know that it's going to come out on dvd and the people will probably binge watch it they know that it could be streaming and i feel like that's probably entering into the mindset of the people that are making the shows not merely the the studios or whatever the networks that are putting them out and i feel like it's a very it's a very movie mentality and i feel like that is helping to inform people's approach to tv like that
2: absolutely um yeah i, I think that that is definitely the case but it tends to be primarily with serialized drama mm-hmm. um it will be interesting to see what the second generation of netflix shows is like including yeah. the second seasons of orange and um house of cards because when they were ma- like when they were making house of cards when they were making arrested development when they were making orange they didn't know if it was all going to go up at once they didn't know, like Arrested Development. They didn't know what was going to be capable. Like they didn't know originally. Like Mitchell Hurwitz's plan for that was to have, like, if you some if some character went off and did something else, you could click on them and follow them off into their other world. But hmm. the technology wasn't there for it mm-hmm, yet. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting and an exciting time to see like how that affects how people make TV because um, it took probably five to ten years for The Sopranos. To fully infiltrate the industry to the point where I think Good Wife is very influenced by Sopranos and that whole school of TV thought, thought but you know, it probably is, would have been impossible to get a show like that on network even like seven, eight years ago. Hmm. I don't know that I,
1: uh, I mean, uh, uh, can you explain that further? Because I feel like The Good Wife feels, uh, it, it has so many procedural elements that it Good seems Wife like is, it would be more. The Good Wife is uh,
2: definitely like a 90s style legal drama in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but. It is much more heavily serialized than something like the practice. It is much more into characters with moral gray areas, and it is much more interested in uh, episodic, like episodic side quests. Basically, mm-hmm. is a good way to describe it. Like that, don't really add to the on, on our ongoing story, but are far more about exploring character. Um, also, in its direction, it's very obviously um, trying to do something more cinematic than yeah. something like. Uh, the practice, again, would have been, I like the practice. I don't mean to dog on <laughs> it. Uh, but, yeah, and I think especially it's influenced by The Wire. Um, and it's not, it's not immediately clear, but it is very much a show about institutions and how institutions crush people and how systems are problematic. And, like, that is not the kind of show that you could have done in the 90s because that sort of overarching thematic concern just wasn't about his What about,
1: about, what about Homicide?
2: Homicide uh, homicide was was close to that, uh, but Homicide, I think, is much more of a more traditional procedural. You know, there, there are storylines that continue, but at the same time, so much more is invested in the standalone stuff. Like, Homicide could really not have done, I don't think, something like what they're doing on Good Wife this season with the new firm splitting off and how every episode mm-hmm. is about that. Right. Seen okay. through the prism of the case of the week. Um I, I like that. Um, I think, and actually I would say Homicide is probably a better show in the grand scheme of things than The Good Life, but that is a sign of how TV storytelling has changed.
0: Todd, let me ask you to continue down the line that we've we've headed at the moment. As somebody who has a great deal of respect for the medium of film and the format and, you know, week to week and all that sort of thing. The television. Oh, pardon me. Yeah, yeah, of television. Um, do you... What what do you, how do you personally respond to Arrested Development being you know a whole season of a show?
1: Yeah, how did you e- watch it? each
0: one? Each one longer than twenty two minutes. One of them like thirty seven, yeah, which was too long yeah. uh, for me. <laughs> but like, how did you respond to that? Are you frustrated by it or are you okay? Uh,
2: I watched it over about three days. Okay, um, I didn't think it was very good. I I didn't think it was a very good season of TV. I thought it was interesting. I'm glad it exists so that other people can pick up that baton and run with it, like that kind of storytelling. I thought Orange Is the New Black, uh, which is one of my top four or five shows of the year, was far more of an interesting way of using the Netflix model to tell stories you probably couldn't tell on TV um, because they're sort of intricate. And and I watched that also in three days and thought it was fantastic. Um, In general, I think... When binge watching, when binge watching, one has to watch out for one's own like critical faculties sort of slipping away. Because mm-hmm. I find that when I watch all of something, um, I'm much kinder on it than I normally would be if I was watching it week to week. Like I now think House of Cards was like legitimately bad television, but mm-hmm. when I watched, I gave it like a B minus. So I was like, this isn't very good, but it does some things that are kind of cool. So I think that that is a thing that at least I have to watch out for. Is that binge? Binging tends to wash away. Uh, some of the show's larger flaws, because they become a part of the template in some ways. Hmm.
1: But uh, and I think in nine out of ten cases you're right. But there are some shows. Um, the example that leaves me is Fringe, which was a show that I didn't watch initially because mm-hmm. the reviews weren't great early on. And then there was sort of this consen- consensus toward the end of the second season that the show's really found itself. Yeah. So I watched those first two seasons really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really liked them. But I found that my experience of the show was richer once I started watching it as it aired because it was a, again, I use the word rich, it was a rich show. And so I liked the fact that, you know, it would air on a Friday night and the next Tuesday morning I'd be walking my dog and thinking about Fringe and I'd have a whole week to think about all the things that were happening on the show. And I, 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 I and think that's,
0: that. That's something that I've over. Because like, da- knowing David and, and having him, like, really in the last few years just get into TV in a way that that was kind of new to me, uh, has caused me to look at TV a slightly different way and really embracing the, like, that, like, n- y- y- Hey, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, it, before you was, it was King of TV, Paul Goble, <laughs> but, um, which by the way, everybody Todd included, uh, if you're not listening to, Hey, watch this, you're missing out. Cause that's a good show. <laughs> anyway. Um, it's, uh, that's, it sounded like I was making a joke. I listen every week. So, Thank- um, but the very nature of the of the format is you are able to take break. Like, let's say it's a serialized show and it comes out every week. You're able to take breaks and think about and talk about what just happened. Like, a lot of TV, I mean, they talk about, you know, the water cooler, you know, moments and stuff like that. But a lot of TV is what happens when the show isn't going on. It's... Going and reading recaps and reading reviews, or talking with friends like, "Did you see this? Mm-hmm. Like, can you believe it? What do you think's going to happen?" Or you know, or just, or, or for it, me, just just dig- thinking about digesting, it. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. just something that, uh, though I though I do binge watch and all that, like I tend to any really any technology, and I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and all that, and I have a podcast. So I, I get it. I'm, There's I've I've lost the fight already. <laughs> but any anything that really embraces like. Get what you want when you want it, right now, immediately. It's like, and i I have Hulu Plus, I have Netflix, I stream, like <laughs> I have all that stuff. But when you actually have shows that now are meant, they are made and put out in such a way as to be binge watched, It's like they're kind of robbing you of the opportunity. Of getting to digest something between that and the next episode,
2: to some degree. Um, again, our Orange the New Black reviews did very well. Mm-hmm. A lot of people read them. A lot of people commented on them. It was it was a very much an ongoing conversation. Okay. And that show was ongoing. That conversation around that show was ongoing all summer on okay. Twitter. Mm-hmm. I think I think with the thing with Arrested Development and House of Cards, where nobody was talking about them like a month after they, that's because they weren't very good. There okay. wasn't a lot to talk about there. Yeah, like I mean, Arrested Development, there was a lot to talk about on the surface, but it you know once you got past like oh, wasn't it cool how this hooked up with this, and wasn't this kind of funny, you know, it, it sort of drifted away from the consciousness. Whereas Orange Is the New Black did the TV thing where it had really great characters, and each episode was kind of its own discrete chunk, and like. There was a lot going on in that world, and it was a world worth getting lost in. And um, I think I think that's why people responded to it so much. But yeah. I am I am very worried about the loss of the episode as a discrete thing, because I think that even a show like Breaking Bad, which was very serialized, could do an episode like Fly, which was like this is a this is like a day of time out of these people's lives that we're going to look in on. It's not necessarily gonna have much to do with the overarching story. It does thematically, but you know, it's not like it's not like that fly came back at the end of season five <laughs> right. and like pushed Walter White off a off a balcony <laughs> or something. Um you know, like people always wanted the uh the Russian from Pine Barons to come back on <laughs> right. the Sopranos. Yeah. 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 Uh but, but people
1: are still want Sal to come back to Mad Men, which yes. is annoying yes. to
2: me. Um, though I, I would not be surprised if Mad Men's final season turns into, like, a farewell tour, like, of all these characters that have sort of, like, I hope Chauncey the dog comes running up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Says, hello, Don. It's 1969. Um, no, uh, I, I think that the episode is such a wonderful and important thing about TV. And I, I love, like, a really well-done episode. And I think we think too much about, um, you know... The series as a whole sometimes, especially when binge watching, and like I think there are shows that aren't helped by binge watching. I think Hannibal is definitely one of them where hannibal, you need a little time to get out of that mindset and so it's it's an interesting question, and it will be interesting to see how it affects the evolution of t v in the next ten years uh,
1: this is another question I want to talk about um, is you know in, in in one case people are. These cases you're talking about people who are watching everything right away. But uh, another byproduct I think of this newish way of looking at television is people dismissing things too quickly. Uh, and the example that I always go to is uh, Rubicon, yeah. which I think by the end of its first season, especially its second to last episode, Galveston, which is amazing, uh, it was really starting to find itself. But I think because it didn't know what it was for the first half of that season, it it it, it, lost, uh, it lost the it lost a chance uh, because people. May, or at least this is my theory, is that people coming at this approach that a season is like a movie, they're they're gonna they're gonna check out because if it's not good in the third episode, why would it be good in the tenth? Uh and I think that I think that's a problem. Obviously there's also the problem from the studio or the network side of canceling things too quickly. But um do you do you agree? Are people now um maybe a little quick to give up on stuff?
2: Yeah. Um I think. Also, did you like Rubicon? I did like Rubicon. <laughs> I liked Rubicon a lot. I think I think not only are people possibly too quick to give up on stuff. I totally understand. Like not everybody has to watch everything. Like if you are bored by a show and it's, you know, whatever you can drop it. Like if you find the pilot boring, go ahead. I think that the culture right now though, is like, uh, so much. of it is like saying I have given up on this show. <laughs> like it, like it's a brave stand you were taking on a hill somewhere. I have given up on our agents of shield. <laughs> it is not what I expected. And you know, who cares? Yeah. Um, I think <clears throat> I think that uh to a degree, you know, T V is constantly ever evolving and the trick of watching TV critically is to always hold in your head that some show you're not watching, like say the episode of Two and a Half Men that's on right now, <laughs> maybe the greatest episode of television that has ever been produced. And like if other, enough other people say that, you probably should go check it out, and maybe it will be. So I think that it is like there's too easy to get locked into our opinions we had based on like what we saw. Like I stopped watching um, Back in the Game, which we were talking about earlier, because mm-hmm. I assumed it was not for me. But maybe it is. You know, another show I haven't – I've fallen behind on is The Goldbergs, which a lot of people have said has turned into this fine little comedy. But yeah, there's so much TV right now. It's so easy to give up on something and it's so easy to say, you know, I've given up on this and I am right It's not necessarily the case because it's so ever evolving. Like, I would I would bet just about anybody like twenty bucks that this season finale of Homeland is going to be really satisfying and people are really going to like it. Is that going to negate like all the stuff before it that Uh was kind of like we need to get this car back on the road and (laughs) we're not sure how we're going to do that? So let's dither around for six episodes and then maybe we'll do a couple of things. Yeah. No, but for a lot of people, it's going to be like yes, this justifies me sticking with it um but this leads me to the
1: idea of a show finding itself leads me yeah. to another thing that 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 bothers me about a sort of newish way of uh looking at tv in, in that people are uh averse to the idea of jumping into a show on its second season if it yeah. gets good in its second season everyone says oh it's good now and i even admitted like when i watched fringe you know i didn't people say the episode peter is where that's where it found itself. I didn't start with Peter. I went back and I watched the entire season and a half leading up to that. Uh, but it does bother me maybe a little bit, even though I'm guilty of it. That people aren't willing to. I don't know. What are they? Uh, so I don't know if you have listened to my other podcast that I do with uh, Paul Goebel. Hey, uh, watch this. It's called they hey watch Every this. Sunday. Yes. Uh, and the idea is that we assign each other a TV, sh- uh, an episode each week hmm. to watch. And he assigned me an episode of Sean Saves the World. Pretty much, I think. Out of spite. It, pretty much expect yeah to to uh that's kind of what he does we would both hate it um and then the episode the only episode i've seen and it wasn't great but it wasn't terrible and Mm -hmm. he was like oh i guess maybe this show is finding itself but uh i don't know if sean if sean saves the world suddenly becomes by the end of the first season a great sitcom will be too late will people uh will, will not only viewers but like but but critics and the people who consider themselves the cognoscenti will they dame to jump onto a show.
2: A lot like of, that. I think a lot of really good critics keep an eye on a lot of things. Uh, the show I'm watching right now that I think has the prospect to become like an all time great show is mom on okay. CBS hmm. is not, I'm is not an all time great show right <laughs> now, but it has a lot of elements and it is pushing them around in different, in different, uh, combinations and saying, what if this works? What if this works? What if this works? And they are finding things that work for them. And every episode's a little bit better. And like, that's a fun thing to watch, and like I, I would miss that. That's another product of having to put an episode on every week. I would miss that if everything went to like thirteen episode seasons that were released all at once.
1: Right? Can you think of any examples uh, of uh, other shows that have really terrible first seasons and then went on to become
2: Parks and Rec you was think? not very good in its first season. Um, let's see I think 30 Rock Had a shaky start Though it, it found itself Very quickly
0: I always disagree On Parks and Rec But I think that's because I locked into the character Ron Swanson So Because he was <laughs> He was the he, one thing that He, he was ready yeah. made You know yeah. <laughs> And I was just like This is Who is this guy Every Like and, and the character of Leslie Was just like Too much like Michael Scott In that first season Yeah But it was just like my attitude was like, who cares? Look at this guy. And and so when people are like,
2: that first season, like, what what are you talking about?
0: It was great. Oh, no, I guess it wasn't. That character was great. And and then everybody kind of caught up to him. But I'm sorry I interrupted No, you,
2: no, that's but. fine. That's fine. You go back even further and there's shows like, um, I mean, I would never call the first season of Mary Tyler Moore show bad, but it's certainly not as good as what came later. Uh, same thing with like Taxi. The Bob Newhart show took about two years to find itself. In season three, it really kind of came into its own so of course people were a lot more patient back then and people would sit through something that was sandwiched between two more popular shows mm-hmm. so that's kind of the other side of it uh
1: you mentioned 30 rock and that got one reminded me of something else i'd wanted to talk about uh that as much as we've been talking about how there's not enough respect for the history of tv there's a certain there seems to be a certain strain of tv comedy 30 rock children's hospital and then these uh, greatest event in television history mm-hmm. things where there apparently there's a band of comic minds out there who have a lot a lot of respect for the history yeah. of TV and are really injecting that into their shows uh, I, find, I find that very refreshing
2: I would add community to that as well watch I think but yeah I, I agree that there are a lot of shows that are recycling and rehashing uh, one of the great things about 30 rock was it one of the things about the single camera comedy revolution of the last 15 years or so is that they have basically taken all of the plots that become too – that became too hide-worn for the multi-camera comedies to use them and are just doing them again. Like uh-huh. 30 Rock did a high school reunion episode. Like, <laughs> right. And because it's in a different format, it feels fresher. But like if you look at the structural bones of those, it's just the same story. They're telling the same story I Love Lucy did. And, right.
1: And that's – That's a funny episode. Too, yeah. Though. That's
2: a lot of fun. I, yeah. I love that reunion episode. But – yeah, it's uh, – it's some of it's an appreciation of TV history and some of it is the fact that there are really only like 25 sitcom storylines <laughs> and they just have to keep churning them up. And when you've seen enough of them, like Tina Fey has, like Dan Harmon has, you can sort of wink toward them. Uh,
1: but I, I, I felt not just in, in storylines but uh, in things like the way that 30 Rock did their live episodes. Yes. Even though the first one I didn't think was very funny. The second one I did like uh, – it it didn't feel like it wasn't just like a season of rock live. Yeah. Um, It was, uh, it it really did seem to be paying homage to the fact that TV, a lot of TV used to be done live. Yes. Uh, And and it, and it was aware of that.
2: And also uh, Saturday night live, of course, was was the big thing there. But yeah, it was definitely some of the fun of that I think was seeing how will 30 rock handle uh, its signature style in a live setting. I don't know if it was entirely successful at all of it, but I, I like, I remember Julia Louis-Dreyfus playing yeah. Liz Lemon in Flashbacks, basically. Yes, I funny. thought that was brilliant. And, and yeah, it's definitely an homage to the original golden age of TV, the first of like seven golden ages of TV. <laughs> so. Uh,
1: well, let me, we should probably wrap up pretty soon. We've gone over an hour, but uh, we keep, uh, we've used the word golden age a lot. And I've multiple times said that we are either in one or we just saw one end. What is your feeling about where we are right now?
2: Uh, I think we're starting a new one. You know, The the thing about Golden Age of TV, and I, I wrote a whole article about this that people can go find. It's called Long Live the Golden Age of TV. It's called The g- Golden Age of TV is Dead. Long Live the Golden Age of TV. <laughs> um, the thing about the Golden Age of TV is that basically every decade but the 60s, somebody was like, this uh-huh. is the Golden Age of TV. Because mm-hmm. you had the original 50s, which was like all the live experimental stuff. The 60s is actually a really good decade for TV, but because that was the decade when the vast wasteland thing was, and all production was moving out to L.A. and New York media was sort of looking down on it, it's become kind of forgotten. Um, The 70s, of course, you had all the great sitcoms, all the socially conscious sitcoms, and people were like, TV is never going to get better than this, until the 80s when it was like, here's Hill Street Blues, St. Elsewhere, all these groundbreaking dramas, and plus Cheers and Roseanne and Cosby Show, things like that. And then the 90s, like I said, Entertainment Weekly had a cover that was like, TV is now better than the movies. Uh And then, of course, The Sopranos kind of changed everything. So I think that when we say we just left a golden age of TV, we're doing a lot of TVs past a disservice because I think there's a lot of great TV in every era and a lot of shitty TV in every era. Um, And uh, I think that what's going on right now, like this year, 2013, has seen the most really great new shows I've seen since I started – like really paying attention to TV, like only 2004 even comes close. I mean,
1: what are the new great new shows? You've
2: got, you've got Hannibal, you've got the Americans, you've got rectify. Uh, you've got, uh, orange is the new black Nathan for you. I think Brooklyn nine, nine is really funny. Trophy wife is turning into a good show. Masters of sex. I'm like, the thing about it isn't just, I I honestly could name like 20, but the Uh thing about it isn't just, here's a bunch of good new shows. It's here's a bunch of good new shows for every possible taste you could think of like there are interesting shows, worthwhile shows, shows that are pushing the boundaries of TV on pretty much every network that's programming right now. Like people, people dog CBS, but they've got good wife. They've got person of interest. Mm-hmm. They've got uh, elementary, all of which are doing really great things with the procedural format. Um, so it's, I think it's a great, I think that part of the reason people are saying the golden age of TV is dead is because it's so much harder to keep up with all the good TV. Hmm.
1: Uh, I think Uh, I really like that because I think I've been using the term golden age to refer to what's been going on for the last 15 years or so or, you know, Sopranos to present uh, sort of without really thinking about what it means. And I think when I think about what it means, I don't I don't like the idea that that uh, there's a golden age because I don't like the idea that it was somehow the doldrums before. And I really don't like the idea that we're on the precipice of at any point of returning to it sucking. Yeah. Uh, and so I like, uh, uh, you know, thinking about it and hearing you talk about it, I feel like um, I still think The Sopranos represents something, yes. but I maybe should think of it as more of a sea change than the beginning of a golden age.
2: We're leaving the golden age of dark dramas about antiheroes. Like, we don't really have a lot of those that are good anymore. Um Boardwalk Empire, I like Winter Sun. <laughs> I th- no, I think Boardwalk Empire is a good show, but I like I don't think it's going to make anybody's top ten shows of all time list. You know, the whole Sopranos to Breaking Bad thing was such a such perfect bookends. So, okay,
0: I know that we have to uh, end, but as it happens, you're a TV guy. Yes. you're Here, and you probably will, and there's there's a handful of shows that I watch, and by weird coincidence, David David doesn't watch. I think any of them. Uh, we
1: both watch The Amazing Race.
2: And I think that's, I think that might be it because I've stopped watching amazing race. It just got to be too much for me. Is that, is that it true? It just got to be like every season was the same thing. So uh, that's I, kind of true. And that's kind of fine with me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's Meanwhile, yeah.
0: I was always, as far as the two reality shows I watch, I was always kind of on the fence between survivor and, and amazing race. I still watch both, but survivor is in my view, just tremendously more fascinating. I
2: think I would agree with that. Um, yeah.
0: but anyway, okay. So with
1: the fact that. I I'm know you don't like before. lying in the cheek. Yeah, that I stuff. feel like it it's almost necessary to be mean to do well in Survivor whereas you can be a really good person and do well in the Amazing Race and I think mm-hmm. I It like is that.
0: not necessary to be mean, it is necessary to be ruthless. It's not e- exactly the same thing. The guy who won last year was ruthless, but he was never mean and he was super awesome and I loved him.
2: And the person who won the uh probably the highest rated, possibly best season of Survivor was like a really nice woman, like <laughs> Season two, I think. Yeah, like Tina, Tina or she, uh, something or
0: other. uh, she's, she's on Redemption Island right now, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so, uh,
1: here's, here's pulling for, pulling for Tina, right? Uh, to get back on the show, right? Do I understand uh, the Redemption uh, Island concept?
0: Yes, there's the, but here's the thing between Tina and Vetus, I'd rather Vetus be oh, back okay. and get back on the show. Not that he'll get voted out again. It doesn't matter. Okay. Uh, that's not what I want to say. So. Uh, there are two things I wanted to run by you, Okay. a certified TV guy. Okay, all right. First thing, I'm in the minority on this, and I might be with you as well. I thought the second season of Walking Dead solid. Sure. People said it was so boring being in that farmhouse. I was like, Are you kidding me? Like, I take that over to just the travesty of the first season and the part of to- that is that you're the, the a horrible uh, tonal
1: shift of the third season. You're a Scott the Walker week. fanboy. Right. Scott Wilson. Scott Wilson, I mean fanboy. Although Scott Walker this, is a different guy.
0: This season, <laughs> if he doesn't get an Emmy nomination, somebody's doing something wrong. Because he's doing great work this season. But anyway, uh yes, that might be kind of part of it. But also and uh, hey, you're a fan of Pruitt Pruitt Taylor Vince so
1: And I'm a fan of Scott
0: Wilson. Yeah, so get off my back. Um But that's the thing, is it was just they were they were in a but I also like the zombie film, like the zombie genre. And that often involves holing up in one place for a long time. And I really like that. It gave them a chance to kind of breathe and, and explore character and stuff. What is your, and inexplicably, I still watch the walking dead. It is consistently who who cares to me. (laughs) Uh, and my, my job is such that I, I, I'm a photo editor. So I, uh, I'm looking at something and then I'll have something else on it's often a podcast or whatever. But there are some TV shows that I'll just have on and I would do that with walking dead. And I thought, so wait a minute, let me get this straight. The show with the great zombie effects and the terrible dialogue, that's what you've chosen to listen to and not watch. <laughs> and I was like, okay, you got to change this up a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, what is your opinion of that show in general?
2: I think I, I have Fallen behind a bit on season four, okay. but I thought each season of the first three got a little bit better than the previous. It's a show I watch. I don't think it's a very good show, but I enjoy yeah. the I enjoy the mood of it. Yeah, I enjoy the vibe of it. I enjoy. I like. I. It seems weird to say this, but I enjoy hanging out in a post-apocalyptic wasteland every week. So it's, it's like your. It Nashville. is not. It's it what
1: Nashville is to me. Yeah, <laughs> it is. No, yeah, it's,
2: it is my peer one imports. Um, it is not a show that I could watch like binge I don't think but I do I like it I like it for what it is without thinking it's terribly great television
0: there's not really that many in my opinion there's not really that many shows that effectively build a world and then allow you to live in it week to week and I feel like that's one of the things it does well now if it could only people it with characters I like or at least care about and how about this characters I don't actively wrote to die that would be good the death of – spoilers, the death of Andrea was one of the happiest days of my life. But um, anyway, so that's the first thing. Second thing, uh, so friend of the show Jason Eakin and I uh, – Todd, you don't know him, but you should. He's a good guy. Um, he and I talk about Boardwalk Empire mm-hmm. as a show that is – certainly there is, a, there is a major change that I will not spoil because the show's too – it's good enough that I don't want to spoil it. There's a major change from seasons two to three, mm-hmm. and I think it's a little worse.
1: Wait. Is that the one that The Hollywood Reporter had a headline, sudden pit stop? Yeah, I guess so, <laughs> asshole. I'm trying to be nice here. Um, I think only people who know
0: would get that. What do you think? It's that's a very clever line, by the way. Um, but... Uh, but yeah and so uh so we've talked about the the show in general i haven't watched any of the current season but i hear it's very good because it focuses on the chalky white character which i like Mm -hmm. but um when talking about the great tv shows that even that are on right now people tend to like boat empire is the one they remember after the initial slate it's the one they're like oh yeah and you know what that one's not bad too like it's missing something and yeah. I cannot
2: put my finger on what it is. Do you have any theories? I think it's Nucky. I think those anti-hero dramas had really strong central characters. I like Nucky. I like I like that his his quest is sort of he wants to continue to be a good person while still doing all these bad things and it mm-hmm. doesn't really work that way. But you need to have real like – I want to say swagger to pull that off and – Nucky is just he, – he feels like a politician. He feels too much like a politician for the show to really work. And it worked best for me when they focused on him being a politician because I was like,
0: well, I've seen gangsters before,
2: yeah. but I like this. And I should say I think this, this current season is very well done. I, I, okay. I've, seen, I've seen the finale uh, and it's, it's really tremendous TV. But yeah, I think that the reason this season was so well done is because Nucky's kind of a supporting character. Do you uh, think it is a function of casting? I love Steve
0: Buscemi. But you mentioned there there needs to be a certain swagger, and I don't think he necessarily has it.
2: Uh, it could be. You know, I don't want to badmouth Steve Buscemi, who does really great work on the show. But he yeah, really does. I think he's playing the character as written, whereas I think he's a great character actor. And I think, mm-hmm. like, uh, it takes a James Gandolfini or a Brian Cranston or, or like, an uh, Ian McShane to pull the character to them to some degree so that it becomes yeah. a tug of war between the writer and the actor. Buscemi will just always sort of just go there. Yeah. So.
1: My my, my, uh, oh, my impression my, – my girlfriend watches Boralock Empire and I don't, but usually, often it will be on while I'm checking email or doing something else. My impression of the show is that each episode is about 50 minutes of quiet austerity and then something fucking horrifying happens. Pretty much. That's about right. <laughs> That's what I get by listening to it. It's, the other uh, room. it's
2: yeah. beautiful. It's beautiful to look at, especially in HD. It is another show that builds a real world worth getting lost in. But, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the characters – outside of some of the supporting players are not immediately arresting.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very strange. And my, my friend and I, we were talking about like, we, we arrived that yes, Nucky was maybe the the problem, which he's not a terrible character and he's played really well, but we thought maybe you need a different type of actor in there. And so we were trying to hypothesize because it needs to be a character. Tony Soprano is imposing in every possible way. And so you don't want to go up against him because just look at him. Mm -hmm. He's frightening. Yeah. So with Nucky, you need somebody that could conceivably be a reputable politician, someone who has power and people know it, but not doesn't exude power in such a way that people will not challenge it. It's like that's a, that's a lot in one character, and you need a certain type of actor. We arrived at Stanley Tucci. That'd be great. And Ray Liotta. Yeah. Those are the two we arrived at, and it's like – and I think they would have done a, a good job. It might be a little too late to recast, <laughs>
1: but um, – <laughs> But yeah, it had a very short lived TV show a few years ago, right? Where he Smith? was Smith Smith. Yeah. I would love to see him do or be on TV regularly.
0: He's doing like, I saw a place beyond the pines. I yeah. saw killing him softly last year. Like he's a really great actor that for some reason has like, has kind of fallen away. And I think some of the best work he ever did was in NARC, which admittedly was 11 years ago now, but like it'd be, it, I would love to see him like have a show on HBO or Showtime or something I, like that.
2: I think another thing about boardwalk is it's, sort of the epitome of the well-plotted TV show. Mm-hmm. Every season has a bunch of like six, seven strands and then they come together at the end and you're That's, like, "Yes, oh, look at that. But TV, I think watching TV for plot generally will disappoint because TV is so much more a medium driven by character. And I think that they just haven't found, like, uh, I, I think Richard Harrow is amazing. Yes. And I think Chucky White is amazing, but they're really not the focuses of the show. So Yeah,
0: it's, it, it does feel too neat. Whereas stuff like- yeah. Certainly Deadwood and certainly Sopranos. There's a raw quality to it uh, that I feel like really gets into the nature of the characters. And maybe,
2: maybe it gets into the nature of Nucky. He's TV, very neat. TV at its best, one of the reasons I was really disappointed in the last eight episodes of Breaking Bad. TV at its best, I think, is really messy. Mm-hmm. And Breaking Bad was really messy for a while. And then it got kind of neat. It kind of was like, here, we're going to close off this story path. We're going to close off this story path. And that's fine like, for an ending of a story. But I think at its best, TV leaves possibilities open all over the place. Like that is why the Sopranos finale will always be the TV finale for me. Hmm.
1: Um, that's a great point, actually, because I also, I kind of pretty much agree with that. Um, and, of course, Buffy, which is my favorite show of all time. You, yeah. know, uh, uh, you know, I hear, you know, there, there's another Hellmouth in Cleveland or whatever the uh, line is at the end. Um, I want to ask you before we wrap up, just out of curiosity, I mentioned Rubicon earlier. Uh, there are certain shows that I think are, you know. Obviously, there are shows like Firefly and Freaks and Geeks that get a lot of attention for having been canceled too soon. Yeah. But there are certain shows. Rubicon is certainly one of them. Karen Sisko is one of them. Mm-hmm. Maybe Boomtown. That got a second season. But still, I think, shows that got canceled too soon. What are, in recent history, what have some of you, some of yours underloved shows that got canceled too
2: Sons soon? and Daughters. Nobody's heard of this one. It was 2006. This. It ran 10 episodes on ABC. One episode never aired. Um. I talked about how you couldn't do a Robert Altman film on TV. This is the closest I think TV has ever come. Hmm. It was a sprawling family show. It was sort of a precursor to Modern Family, but not really. Because all these people had really, like, fucked up lives, and they were living middle-class existences. Uh, They couldn't just solve all their problems by buying a new car like they frequently do on Modern Family. (laughs) And uh, it it was all improvised. They had a great cast of actors you've never heard of only one of whom has gone on to anything really it's eden share who's on the middle now oh right, right um but yeah it was just this great sprawling little family comedy and it came on right after arrested development was canceled so it always got compared to that even though it was doing a very different thing and people were very upset like people were very mad at it for existing basically <laughs>
0: All right. Sons and daughters. Is that available? Like, uh, it is on- not
2: available anywhere. Although you can find it, uh, through illegal channels, if okay. you wish to, which is what I have had to resort to. Unfortunately, I wish it would. I wish there was a criterion collection for TV. Cause that would be a natural fit. I hope shot factory picks. it. They've got fishing movie. with John. Yes. So we're good there. But at the same time, all, like every episode was scored to the grateful dead. So that may be what's, hmm. that may be a hard thing to overcome. Interesting.
1: Uh, Oh, that gets me to – there's another whole question I wanted to ask that I forgot about because I wanted to talk about The West Wing and how much I love those first four seasons. and Having not seen The Last. Three. I've, and I've never watched the last three seasons of The West Wing and it's maybe out of a certain loyalty that I felt at the time to Aaron Sorkin that I don't mm-hmm. know that I feel anymore because I'm not as big a fan of him anymore.
2: Uh, but, the final two are pretty good. Yeah, uh, you, you season fight five, through five. Me. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's
0: got one or two good episodes. There's one involving uh, Supreme Court judges that I like quite a bit, partially because they bring in some actors that I like. But yeah, seasons uh, six and seven are solid. But, Alan Arkin.
1: Uh, uh, sorry, Alan Alda. Okay, that's fun. The question I wanted to ask this uh, seriously, if I had thought to be this to ask this earlier, it could be a whole discussion. But I just want to ask this sort of uh, correlation showrunner in tv equals director in movie mm-hmm. uh what are the uh where is that true and where is that false do you community think? but i mean dan just,
0: Harmon, that's very true
1: but uh, i'm not saying examples of it like oh, okay. in, in which ways is it true i see and in which ways is it not true
2: there are some showrunners who operate sort of like the uh like daryl f Zanix of the like probably pre 60s 70s film world where mm-hmm. they sort of are delegating a lot of responsibility and then they kind of say I like this, I like this, I like this, you know. And then there are people like uh Matt Weiner who are basically they 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 do everything. I mean, they don't do everything, but they have to make every decision. Like they're very much micromanagers of that show. So, it's very much a continuum. Like it really depends on the series, but the greatest TV series tend to have that strong vision of a strong central figure there are exceptions as there always are um, there are shows where the showrunner left after like a season and it still kept going on and was really great but especially in the current era it seems like there's a strong correlation between strong showrunner and strong show
0: which might which might you know certainly I think enters into the 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 premise which is you have TV auteurs now um, in a way that maybe you didn't used to. Yeah. yeah. You know, to the point where, I, I mean, I just mentioned Dan Dan Harmon. Like, I don't think years ago, maybe because I was younger and didn't care so much, but like, like a Dan Harmon and David Milch, you know, stuff like that. I'm aware of these people now where I didn't, whereas I didn't used to be.
2: Yeah. I think, uh, I think X-Files was the real sea change there mm-hmm. too. I mean, maybe that's just because of me because people didn't know Stephen Bochco and David E. Kelly before that, but you get before Bochco, who did Hill Street Blues and a bunch of stuff, and it's mm-hmm. like people didn't know any of those names. Yeah. they didn't care. Uh, was Norman Lear I, like well known? Although there were, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sitcom auteurs, especially there were dramatic auteurs uh, who were working, but you know they weren't as celebrated like uh, Sterling's Elephant, You know, mm. outside of maybe Rod Serling, and I think that was because he was on camera. Yeah,
1: uh, I guess my my uh, again, I'll go back to my being a. Uh, die-hard Buffy fan but uh, I, and I love Joss Whedon all, I mean I'm a Whedonite but mm-hmm. uh, to refer to Buffy and Angel as Joss Whedon shows I think discounts the in some ways the contributions of your Jane Espenson's and Doug Petrie's and David Greenwaltz and all these and all these people and so that's why I feel like the the correlation between showrunners and film directors kind of breaks down a little bit.
2: But is it, but is it uh, any different when you look at something like Raging Bolt, to call that a Martin Scorsese film, when he was he was absolutely the primary guiding voice, but Paul Schrader is so much of a part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Schoonemaker is so much a part of that. I can't remember the cinematographer. Okay,
1: well, then maybe I should have, instead of mentioned writers, I should have mentioned uh, different directors. You know, uh, the Breaking Bad, you've got yeah. Michelle McLaren, you've got Ryan Johnson, you've got Vince Gilligan, you've got other people who have come in and directed episodes. Um do you think that Michelle McLaren doesn't get the respect she deserves because people think of Breaking Bad as Vince Gilligan's show?
2: Uh, I think uh, Michelle McLaren absolutely deserves whatever respect she gets. But Vince Gilligan is the one who says this is what the visual okay. template's going to be. Uh, I was on set for The Americans about a month ago. And those guys, those showrunners, I, I sat in on a meeting with one of the directors. And I can't say much, obviously. But basically they were saying, OK, this is what we're going to need here. This is what we're going to need here. And uh, when you have a strong directing producer like Michelle McLaren was, absolutely, like, the showrunner will give them a little more free reign. Okay. But at the same time, the buck stops at Vince Gilligan's desk. And I think it's the same with the buck stops at Martin Scorsese's. So, All
1: right. All right. You've uh, robbed me of that soapbox to stand on. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. Um, thank you so much for being here. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed it listeners you can find me and tyler at dot com. that's where you can find this podcast and all the other podcasts in the bp fleet including the aforementioned hey watch this with paul and with paul and david uh you can and also of course lots of movie reviews uh that's the uh, raison d'être of the site. Uh, you can f- uh, follow me on Twitter. You can email us David at BattleshipRetention dot com or Tyler at BattleshipRetention You can follow me on Twitter at the Pretension. You can follow Tyler on Twitter at More Lessons, which is the official Twitter of his other podcast, More Than One Lesson, which is at More Than One Lesson dot com. Tyler has something to say about More Than One Lesson.
0: Yeah, our most recent episode uh, is about killing them softly, which uh, people are always. There every once in a while we do a movie that people are like. Why are you? How on earth are you talking about that on your Christian podcast? Uh, but there's a lot uh, of interesting stuff to talk about in Killing Them Softly, and so uh,
1: you can find that at morethanonelesson.com. Okay, and my other podcast, as mentioned, is Hey Watch This. This week we'll be talking about the hope, the possibly very final episode of Eastbound and Down, and the very first episode of Almost Human. Uh, so check that out. Todd, where can people find you when you work on the internet?
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash TVOTI. Uh, my podcast, TV on the internet, is at TVOTI.net. Uh, I also do a Parenthood podcast, which you can find by searching for it. <laughs> um, and uh, also, my writing is generally at avclub.com, although I do write for other places, and I'll, I'll link to that on Twitter. So,
1: Okay. Thanks again for being here. Yeah, a lot of fun. I had Very a great fun. time. And thank you at home for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.